So I think what what's uh, what would be good for us to start with Paeng is if you like introduced yourself so that people like know who I'm talking to because presumably people will know who I am when they listen to the podcast. So <laughs> let's start with who you are, so that uh, everyone gets a good idea of uh, what you'll be talking about and uh, sure. what you bring to the table for today's discussion. <laughs> sure, man. Um, thanks for having me on your podcast. Um, well, my name's Rafael Lorenzo Santos Valenzuela, but that's a mouthful. Um, people normally call me Paeng, and I actually respond to that more than my real name. Um, I've been in the FMCG industry since 2013, but I have since resigned um, last January um, because I'm taking my master's in ES Spain um, starting August. Um, I spent four years with sales. I was in deep with sales, like I did truck selling, selling to supermarkets, down to managing a distributor. Um, and then later on, my last 3.5 years, I was in trade marketing. So more on the strategic part of the selling, of um, planning a business or managing a brand. Um, in my... Uh, in my life, though, what I'm really passionate about would be businesses. So I've started multiple businesses already, as early as high school. Um, and I failed in all of them, <laughs> except for the one I have right now. Um, the the most notable I've started is a microbrewery. So we made uh, honey wine or meat, and we made our own beer as well. But that didn't fly because the brewery was bought out, <laughs> but we didn't make money off of it, so don't get any ideas. Um, so yeah, that's, that's that's about it. Yeah, well, uh, the reason why I wanted to talk to you in particular on my podcast is you and I took like wildly different paths after college, so I always found it very interesting that uh, what you did with your life is you went off and you went to a multinational corporation, whereas I went to law school, and I had a hard time comprehending your choice, because having come from the <laughs> background I did, like in Cebu, uh, most of my experience growing up was uh, businessmen or uh, my contemporaries were in families that just did business. And so Mm. it was only when I went to Manila that I found that there was this actually this strong tradition of like gearing up for these really high caliber, stressful corporate jobs. And so uh, I don't know anything about it. And so if you could tell me a little bit about like what, what it's like to work for uh, an MNC and uh, like, you know, maybe maybe some things that people aren't so familiar with, with that whole uh, experience. Sure. Um, so I, I guess to paint a picture, uh, it's like you're a cell in this giant that you're trying to move. So that's 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 what it is. To work for a multinational company, um, just because I guess the more popular way of putting it is you're a cog in a big, big machine. Um, so I guess the difficulty there is you're one you have to communicate to a huge group of people. So you have to communicate downwards, sideways, and upwards. Downwards meaning you have to deploy to people under you, make sure they understand everything, execute well. Sideways, because you have to collaborate with your peers, um, make sure the plans make sense for them. Um, and not just in your department, but also in other departments like marketing, finance, supply, etc. Um, and then lastly, you have to defend your ideas and sell your ideas to the bosses, because 
at the end of the day, they'll be the ones to approve your plans. Um, what else? Uh, Shepard, I need my notes. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, it's it's all it's all it's all right. Like uh uh, like what 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 jumps to mind? Like what what is what is the company culture like? Like for some for something that is so uh, large. Yeah. Okay. So, I guess the the thing with most multinational companies is it, it's up or down culture. Uh, meaning, if you don't um, do well, if you don't get promoted within the next two years, you're probably going to get fired or moved out or um, deprioritized. So that's how it is in multinational companies. And because of that way of thinking, um, it's very competitive. Uh, though people are a bit collaborative because you can't do anything without a team. End of the day, it's... Uh, It's a it's, it's a real snake pit. <laughs> so you know, um, and the thing is, most of these companies, since there's a lot of people who want to get in, there's a lot of projects that need to be done. Um, it's an 80-20 kind of thing, meaning they believe that 20% of the people do 80% of the job. So if you're not part of the 20%, uh, it's 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 gonna be hard for you <laughs> to make a career out of it. And and at first, it might not seem to be the case because there's a lot of you. Entry level folks, but once you get to the top, it becomes much harder to grow, much harder to get promoted, and that's when the thinning comes and or starts rather. Well, what was your experience like you personally? Like, uh, like how quickly were you promoted when you started working, and how hard did you have to work to get those promotions? Um. So it might be different for. Um. each person. So for me, I work best without authority, honestly. Like, I think I'm an entrepreneur by heart. So um, I like doing it my own thing. I like um, figuring out the system, setting up my own system, retooling, things like that. So when I was assigned outside, when I was a salesman, I was really away from the center and I had more authority over what I can do. And because of that, I was able to produce results. And in these companies, results would be number one. Um, so yeah, I got promoted. Uh, normally, you'd get promoted within a span of three or four years in, in the entry level to the next level. I got promoted within two years. So that was pretty fast. And I, it was repeatedly communicated to me that I was part of the top, top 10, top 20% of um, my peers. But then when I was moved to the headquarters, things are very different because now you really feel like you're part of a big machine. You're just a cog in a big machine because there's a lot of systems in place, forms in place, and no matter how inefficient it may be, that's how the big machine communicates with each other. That's how the giant works, right? So if you can't just, um, so to speak, rock the boat, You have to live with the inefficiencies because that's the traditional way of working at things. And I didn't do well. And that's when it started to slow down for me and become really stressful for me. So, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, you, you you used a very uh, funny word, that uh, something that jumps out to me. You described the experience of working as in an MNC as working for a giant. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, what like what is the ex- the reach of these entities? Like, how... quote unquote powerful are they and like what, what oh, kind man. of resources do they have at their disposal? So 
Uh, I'd really say it's close to unlimited because it's not about training out the best product anymore, honestly. It's about leveraging your reach, both physical distribution and mental distribution. So let me go deeper with both things first, one by one. Um, so physical distribution, there's around 300,000 stores in the Philippines and we're available at almost 95, 98%. And that's a lot. <laughs> not not all of the brands will be available there. So if you go down to the smallest size stores, you'll probably see our products there. And because of our influence in terms of distribution uh, and our network, uh, we can release a product and it'll probably reach that deep of a distribution. So it's more important for us now to be faster, to be a, to be available faster, as opposed to tinkering and make sure the product is perfect. Um, and in terms of mental availability, that means we will flood you, um, you know, on TV, on radio, on digital, on your phones, on your computer, everywhere. I mean, I've even seen placements of Olay on Netflix, right? So <laughs> um, that's that's mm. the power of a giant. Um, so yeah, uh, it's it's. It's it's scary because like sometimes the product is shit. Um, like there's this one. Uh, we call it it's it's keratin. It's a keratin product. It's for the hair. Uh, it was a huge trend. Um, because that's what the uh what's what people would do when they go to salons. Um, gotcha. They do a Brazilian keratin treatment, and it would help your hair become healthier or look better. But if you really do the science behind it, keratin does extra keratin doesn't do anything for your hair. Like your hair will produce the keratin it needs. Something like that. I don't know the exact science, but that's that's how it was explained to me. And the only reason PNG um launched their own line is because it was a trend that was happening. The smaller companies in the Philippines were taking advantage of this new found trend. And even though it, they knew that it's not going to help um, uh, their consumers, they launched it. And they flooded the airwaves, they flooded the TVs, they flooded the shy shy stores with this product. And now, it's easily the top two variant of um, the shampoo and the conditioner. So yeah, that's, 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 how, that's how the giant works. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you, you raised a very interesting point, which was like, that uh, you will chase things even though that they aren't effective. Uh, like, what, what's your, what's your, or, or rather, uh, efficacious? I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what word to describe uh, huh. keratin. It, huh. But uh, what's your opinion of that? Like, you know, you you actively uh, pursue a trend just because it's the trend. It's it. I struggled honestly. Like, for me, like being being an entrepreneur. Uh, or like a, a struggling entrepreneur at least, I product was important for me. Like it, it, it was the, it's at the heart of what I want to do. Like I want to sell things I want to believe in. So it was really difficult <laughs> because I know like oh my god I'm I'm displaying this on the shelves of supermarkets and I know like it's not gonna help the consumer. So it's it's really difficult. But I, I guess the way we're trained is you look at your scorecard, um, you. You just deliver your results. Um, so whether it's making sure that the product has 10% share of shelf, meaning 
10% of the shelf of this grocery would be um, our product or is it a matter of making sure that the product is available in all the supermarkets or all the Sarai stores? We just deliver that um, and that's it. No questions asked. Mm. So uh, now like you came from this uh, incredible, um, very unique multinational corporation kind of background and you with, with as you say, unlimited resources. How uh, did you adapt that to your experiences like an entrepreneur? Uh, like what lessons did you take away? What portions of your thinking that you did you have to retool? Okay, like t- top of mind, like two things. When, when I was starting out as an entrepreneur, entrepreneur when I was younger, in my head, like, this is the capital I have, and this is the actions I can do. And I limited my imagination to that. Like, for example, I only had maybe, what, 10,000, 20,000 at that time. And I know that I can't afford, I don't have a much uh, long runway to begin with. And that's it. But what PNG taught me is this discipline of, okay, what's your idea? Who do we need to convince to get the funding? And then let's execute. And then let's learn. So having that mindset that there's really no limit or cap to your capital, it now changes things like, okay, you start planning now for the end game as opposed to how do I survive for the next few months or few weeks. Now you get to have a big, bigger vision. Um, and now you, have, you, you also get to prepare for a big, another audience because before, I just think about the end consumers. I don't think about possible investors. I don't think about possible partners, um, etc. But now that I know I can tap this other source of capital, then you reframe your thinking like, okay, fine, if I sell this product, it will um, be affordable or accessible to consumers. But if I price my product too low, um, then I don't have margins to entice other um, investors or partners into the business and to help it grow faster than I would have alone. Um, the other thing is the multifunctional thinking. So as as an entrepreneur, your focus would normally be either product making and a combination of marketing and product making or a combination of product making or sales. Like it, it, it normally stops with that, but you forgot about other essential parts of the business. So in PNG, since you're very um, specialized and siloed with your um, profession, you they create teams wherein um, one team managing, a, let's say a brand would have a marketer, a salesman, uh, someone with good with supplies, someone with HR, someone with finance, someone with IT. Um, skills or talent, and that's what makes the team work better. Um, so now as an entrepreneur, you think about all these things, like not just the product. The product is at the center. Um, you make sure you have a great product at the center, but you think about, okay, how? what's my marketing? What's How will I reach audiences? How will I reach my consumers? Okay, sales, where do I make my um, product physically available uh, for so consumers can buy it? Is it online? Is it offline? Is it supermarket? Is it Shari stores, etc.? And then I think about finance also, like, okay, um, how do I model this business? Is it going to be like 10% fixed cost, 5% um, cost of goods sold, 30% marketing budget, um, 20% promotions, etc.? So you think about all these things and you get to um, play around with your uh, money better and make sure like you don't... Um, uh, 
you don't tank early on in the, the business. And then supply as well. Like, I think this is one of the few things people forget. Like, okay, great. Now you have consumers lining up buying your product. But what the F are you selling if it's not available, right? Or if it's, you can't make it on time. And other <laughs> few things like HR. Like, end of the day, you need people to do things for you. You need people to make your product better, sell it, market it, etc. And information. Um, the, the, the best way to, actually, the only way to scale your business is through learning and information and knowledge. And if there's no way for you to collect that knowledge uh, and make better decisions and iterate and be better than your competition, then I don't think you'll be able to scale up your business. So yeah, yeah, the, those two things, um, thinking about it multifunctionally and knowing that there's really no cap in terms of what money you can spend as long as you get to um, sell your ideas to the right people mm-hmm. well uh when when i was when i was coming up when i was growing up rather uh in in the province you have like a very strange view of entrepreneurship because uh, the only kinds of people that are spoken about with any degree of esteem in the province uh, I speak about uh, as if I'm I'm from a very super province place, but I'm actually from Cebu, which is like a <laughs> metropolitan area. But uh, I'll just try to articulate my experience as honestly as possible. The only people that you would speak about with any degree of esteem uh, were typically politicians, number one, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, businessmen. Like that was something that was always front and center in my mind growing up. Like my mom would always pepper me with stories about how this person or that person got their start. And it was always some hyper-exaggerated story where, uh, like, you know, they buy and sell plastic in, like, the pier or, like, they resell candles. This is like uh, the way. <laughs> so, so, like, I, I, I find it funny how you and I, uh, we came from very different backgrounds, but we kind of arrived at the same conclusion, which is that we both believe that entrepreneurship is uh, very important. Um, mm. On that note, though, uh, what currently are you selling? Like, what currently are you, what <laughs> business are you hawking now? Well, I have like three, four ideas, but I have one right now I'm working on um, closely. Mm. That's, uh, it's called Booty Call Cookies. <laughs> it, it's, it's not what you guys think. Like, I got already a message asking if there's really girls delivering it and, you know, <laughs> they do the boom boom after, but no, I said no. Um, so we sell cookies. The 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 inspiration came from uh, my love for cookies, but then getting a heartbreak because I found out that I'm actually intolerant to most staple baking ingredients like uh, gluten, um, dairy, egg, etc. So you're allergic, yeah? Okay. Yeah, I'm allergic. I'm intolerant to it. I'm allergic to it. Um, so. I stopped eating it for like maybe a month or two, but I was really craving for cookies. So I decided to bake. I've never baked in my life. So I, I baked cookies. The first few batches were really bad. Like my, my wife almost <laughs> left me because of it. So, <laughs> but I guess it's part of the process, right? Um, yeah, yeah if, if it's not endangering your marriage, you're not doing it right, you know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Right? It's either the product is bad or you're finishing the family's funds. So... <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, then, then after after a few weeks, like maybe three, four weeks, um, we got the first recipe out and people um, responded to it well, like surprisingly. And it, it grew from there. And now, like, 
I had the six month target. I was able to deliver it in one month, and I'm I'm scaling it as fast as I can. So yeah, that's what I'm doing right now. I'm I'm selling cookies, not booty calls. I'm selling cookies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so was there like a particular challenge that, given your background, was made easier by the by your your pool of knowledge that you had available, or was there like a key learning that you were able to apply in this business? Yeah. Um. So. The, the the one thing that helped uh with my experience is knowing how to outsource uh certain parts of the business so so the first part is knowing that there's multi-functional um, aspects about the business right and the next learning that i found was that you can actually outsource this you don't have to do it everything yourself so that's one of the first few mistakes i made when i was um starting out before before i had this knowledge like i tried to do everything myself but now that I know about these things, I get to um, envision already. Like, okay, I need a, I need a way to market it right. I need a channel to sell the these products. I need to make sure my supply is fixed, um, and I need to take care of my finance, and I need to make sure the information is available readily, so um, I can I can decide faster or react faster to events. Um, and then at the same way, um, since I know that I need to outsource a few things, probably like the operations, because you know I can't bake for one thousand people, right? So I already figured out, okay, in terms of my finances, how much do I need to sell the cookies so that I can afford uh, people baking my stuff, that I can afford um, an agency to do marketing for me, things like that. So it helped me plan better. So, like, what kind of volume are you doing now? I wonder. Um. Well, my 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 first month, I think we sold or above one thousand. Um, I think we had one thousand orders. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first month. The first month we had one thousand orders, and I was surprised with it. Uh, and yeah, it was it was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like. It were like who are, who are, who do you sell to first? Like what was what was the uh, what was the uh, initial pool so, of interested people? So there's this concept in um, lean startup that you first sell to your um, they call it early adopters. So these are people that no matter how shit your product is, because they believe in it, they will buy it and they will support you and they will be all rah 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 about it. So. You have to look for that set of people. And for me, one, obviously, would be family and friends, right? <laughs> um, yeah. Those willing to uh, die for you. <laughs> the, <laughs> the, the, the second set would be people similar in your situation. Like for me, I was allergic to dairy, um, to gluten, to egg. So I look for that community um, of people who are looking for alternatives to their diet. Um, and once I found them, like, okay, yeah, oh, wow, like, I never thought, they would say, I never thought that a healthy cookie would taste this way, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and I would just snowball from there. So those were my early mm-hmm. adopters. Mm-hmm. And, like, what, what was, like, an important trait for you to have going in? Like, is there is there some aspect of your being, kind of, that you feel was important, given, you know, these things you were undertaking? Uh 
Well, I think the biggest change that why I'm more confident now about the business is I'm comfortable to be inside the burning room. <laughs> so <laughs> the business is nowhere stable. Um, there are days now we don't get orders. There are days now we get like 10 orders and I have to stay up until like 1 a.m. figuring things out. Um, but knowing that you have a long-term vision and um, you know the steps to uh, get there, you're more comfortable now to deal with the ups and downs of the, day, of the of the daily businesses, of the daily business rather. So yeah, I think for an entrepreneur, that's the biggest thing. You have to be comfortable to be sitting inside the burning room. Mm. Uh, like, given my particular exposure to business, no, like as a, as a lawyer, like there's like lots of new and interesting concepts that uh, like lots of interesting roles that businesses have begun to assume. Right. Like uh, if you look at like the airport projects where like they're they're trying to create like some kind of massive consortium of like all the largest corporations in the Philippines. It seems that this uh, concept of business is growing and expanding beyond simply doing commerce. Like it's actually fulfilling Uh. some kind of societal need. Like Mm. what is your what are your thoughts on that? Like what do you what do you see business becoming in the future? Mm. So I'd separate it into two. Um, because there are still businesses that will forever be for profit, as in that's their priority. And there there will be businesses that they really feel that they want to help society, to your point. So for the for-profit ones, the reason why they're starting to, like, quote-unquote, help society better now is because they're thinking now of ecosystems. Like, it's not... There are no more silos right now. Like, if you sell... If you, let's say your uh, supermarket and all you want to do is for people to go to you and buy your groceries you, you'll live right like i just want profit but now that um there's development on transportation on malls on um uh internet or on mobility or in your cell phone now you can't just be a super uh, you know you just can't be a supermarket now you have to have a way to bring people to your stores you have to have a way for people to order you online you need to have a way for people to do other stuff than just buy groceries from you so these big conglomerates don't think silos anymore they think ecosystems so like the most recent example i can give is um the planned um where's this in somewhere in pampanga area they're building the smart city i forget which are you familiar with that? No, 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 no. Sorry. Nah. Yeah. Sorry. In, in somewhere in in North Luzon, they're building this new smart city, and they're making it. Um, they're making it as uh tight knit as possible. Like they're covering all the holes because, end of the day, what they want to happen is wherever you look, you, the money will flow through them, not through other people. So like that's why they're building a new airport in um that area because they want people to have a reason to go there and that's why they want it to be a smart city meaning like within 15 minutes you can go to anything you can get anything you like it's because they run supermarkets they run malls they they at the same time they also build roads so they they also rent out buildings for offices so if they get to build that city they'll own the economy of that city right the 
the the condo you live in is owned by them. The supermarket where you buy groceries is owned by them. The airport where you, you land and fly off is owned by them. The telecommunications that you're probably using right now is owned by them. So that's 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 how it works, ecosystem. But at the same time, there are also businesses that really want to do good. Like let's say, I uh, I don't know I don't know about it, but like maybe Tesla, for example, right? Because his mission is very clear. They want to make sure the human race lives beyond uh, beyond Earth. So, so yeah, th- those two things. That's 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 really, I, thought, I thought it was, I thought it was well, buying up like Do- Dogecoin, like nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's just the peculiarities of Elon Musk rather than the company itself. But yeah. <laughs> Well, it, the the smart city uh, concept is really interesting, but like in the like for like just coming from someone who's like uh, who understands the law, one of the things that I never really liked about the Philippines is that we're so hesitant to take in foreign capital. Like I really understand how uh, we have uh, people here, right, who are very rich, but uh, you know, like iba pa rin kasi yung foreign capital. You kind of broached on it, Kanina. Sure. Like, sure. Uh, which was like, you know, you have an unlimited budget, which is like, that's a whole new level of capital to work with. Uh-huh. You know? Yes, but, I agree. Like, uh, do you have anything, like any ideas, but like, like what, what is the general attitude that the Filipino people should have towards investment from outside? Like, we're generally very scared. Like, I'll give an example. Um, mm. uh, Dito Telco, for example, you know, like, because it's mm. Chinese, takot, takot tayo, right? We're, uh. we're, we're afraid. Mm. Uh. So, mm. Maybe I'll try to split it into two, three things. The first one is, uh, there's no incentive for these big conglomerates to ramp up, um, ramp up the growth, because they already own much of the market. Like, what's the point of spending more if you're one or two fighting over the same market share? It's not as competitive. To to give like internet speed similar to like Korea or the States or Singapore, it doesn't make sense. It would cost them more money to, right? So there's there's no point. And the other reason why they feel like they're safe is my second point. The government is will block things if they don't get their pay cut. So in, in the, the eyes of, the, of yeah. the cut of the pay, sorry, the, the cut of the pay. So... The, in the eyes of the conglomerates, okay, um, no new competition will come in because we're already paying the government um, this much, etc., etc. This is the cut of the pay, um, so I'm, I'm, I'll be safe. In the government's eyes, uh, why will I make sure this big companies coming in from abroad? I won't get paid, so I'll rather support this, this the the traditional companies. And mm. with those two in control, what happens is there's misinformation or rather lack of information also in the general population, right? There's there's no point in telling the people that look at all of these things outside. It, it, honestly, like most of the population, they're happy already with what they have. Like they complain from time to time, but they don't really know what they're missing out on. Uh, but there's like maybe what 10, 20 percent of the population, like I guess those fortunate enough to have gone to a good school or like travel abroad to know what they're missing out on. And the thing is, if you're like, what, 10% of the population, you won't really be heard. There's there's no pressure to to move on. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a struggle. It's, a, it's definitely a struggle. 
so like if you're the kind of businessman who cares about like these kinds of social issues and like well the inefficiencies of the government like what what do you feel is the responsibility of people who uh like okay like uh, and I, i won't i won't put you on the spot like i'll put both of us on the spot like you and no. me who are aware of these issues what what is our place kaya in trying to solve these problems or trying to confront these problems so um for me like three things then maybe i'd like to hear also like what what you think since you put yourself on the spot also but i can start <laughs> the, the the first one is um you have to try um the moment you don't try then the status quo will just you know pervade and just continue on and that's it like nothing will happen not, no change will happen the second thing is um it it it's it's difficult it will be difficult because the moment you go after them or like go uh, go against them they will really try to find holes in your character or in your company or whatever so it you have that extra weight on your shoulders to make sure that you're you're solid as a character whether like you didn't do anything wrong which is probably impossible um like for anyone because no one's perfect or you can stomach that your dirty laundry will be aired out or yeah uh, and the third point is you in terms of negotiations with them you have to force their hand i mean if you think about it the tech industry in the us they don't really wait for the government to catch uh, to 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 put policies for them and then they'll sell to the people right they the tech industry ran away ran far ahead and let government catch up and let consumers dictate what government will do so i think that's what needs to happen in the philippines um you need to force the hand of these big conglomerates these government officials um then you have to at the same time enlighten these people to know oh my god like i never knew what i was missing out on so now i really want the government to support this this mm. company this change and mm. yeah it, it will be tough because they'll attack you on all sides <laughs> mm. Well, uh, I'm I'm kind of worried you? though. Uh, yes, okay. Uh, I'm kind of worried about like how my response will be taken to anyone who's trying to listen to this podcast because my understanding of the law on the matter and like the legal structures in place is awfully granular. So, uh, mm-hmm. like, uh, so I'm not going to be as general and as easy to digest as you. But uh, there is this law that I always like to bring up uh, whenever I'm talking about ease of doing business in the Philippines. It's the e- It's the Retail Trade Liberalization Act. And so if someone is engaged in what is called a domestic market enterprise, which means that they sell to Filipino consumers within the Philippines, uh, they will be considered a domestic market enterprise, which means that if that business is foreign owned or has foreign equity participation, they're capped at 40% unless they have flash mm. money in the amount of 200,000 US dollars. Mm. Uh, Me personally, and this is my personal opinion, I, I do occupy some official uh, positions in which uh, I will be asked questions about this and I may have to articulate the opposite uh, in my official capacity. But in my personal opinion, I believe uh, that that law is not necessary to protect the Philippines, that hmm. a large reason why the law exists is really to protect established businessmen from having to compete from foreigners. Hmm. 
right? Because if you think about it, like these retail trade, so like we're not talking about essential businesses, like say for example, newspapers or uh, or uh, power grids. We're just talking about like owning a bar or a store or owning, <laughs> you know, non non controversial things, right? And yet somehow we're we regulate just that extent of commerce, that size of commerce, because. Uh, we're afraid of foreigners coming in and then doing illicit practices. Uh, for me, that feels overly protective. I think I think the Filipino businessman is uh, quite ingenious. I think that we're quite capable and we can compete against the intellectual sensibilities of people from other countries. And it's it's actively doing a disservice to the public to not allow that level of competition to come into the Philippines. Mm. Another aspect might be the fact that uh, foreigners cannot own land in any capacity which mm. to me always felt kind of strange because again, like we go back to this whole, like you have a bottomless bit of money, like a, a theoretically bottomless <laughs> bit of money, whether that be like in, in the global market in general or like in venture capitalists, uh, VC funds, right? Uh, but, you know, who's going to invest in the Philippines if like even your own headquarters, <laughs> you, you can't physically own if you were to set up in the Philippines, right? It, it's preposterous, right? So for me... <laughs> Like, and the thing is, like, if these things don't become popular causes, because I'm in those rooms, I mean, I'm in those rooms where businessmen come out with an official position about the state of a given law. And it's kind of disappointing because if you ask the businessmen, it's like, no, it's fine the way it is. I like the fact that my <laughs> Filipino passport gives me an advantage over uh, a foreigner who wants to come in and do business here. <laughs> I'm just like, but like, what about the principle? It's like, but what about the yeah. profits? You know, <laughs> uh, and 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 that's a, that's a valid point. You know, like you can't in a democratic system, you can't fault someone for doing the self-interested and selfish thing, right? Mm. Uh, and it it is it is a valid argument. Also, like, oh, these foreigners might you know not be as interested in complying with our laws. Like, that's definitely uh, that's definitely another consideration. But. I still think that the level of protection that we provide, the, the way that we stack the deck in favor of Filipinos is is too much. Yeah. And so if we could change those things, I think that uh, we'd, we'd do a lot better. Yeah. Uh, and you mentioned earlier, though, that you're taking an MBA, right? Mm, yeah. Uh, I am, so, so one thing that I'd like to ask about that is, like, an MBA presumably takes you away from the Philippines and, like, your ability to do business. So uh, how does the MBA fit into this overall pattern of your life, considering that you um, want to do business? Sure. Um, well, the first thing is, I, I I said that there is really a bottomless pit of money <laughs> in the world. Like it's 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 uh, it's a human construct to think like there's a limited amount of money in the world, and I I really believe that there's unlimited money, and it's just a matter of if you know how to tap into it or not or how how to um properly course it through your ideas or your dreams um so that's my big reason for going outside i i have no idea i don't have connections to be able to be part of the game or like tap into that pool of unlimited pool of money um i've i'm i really like stuck in the Philippines per se because I don't have like another passport. I have never been outside um, uh, outside Asia Pacific, I think. So 
<laughs> so the MBA will help me with all those things, like really experience the outside world, um, uh, know people outside the country, uh, break barriers for myself, and hopefully later on in life. And then um, hopefully figure out how to tap that capital. Um, mm. And like in the long run, it will help me start businesses because in my head, uh, the only thing that's limited is time. Um, and if I do it, what I'm do what I'm doing now, meaning start it my own, I don't think I'll have enough time to be able to make a, the impact that I want to make in this in the country at least. So hopefully the MBA will give me. Uh, give me the hopefully the MBA will accelerate things for me in terms of you know getting enough capital to make the impact I want to. Mm. That was something that was really interesting to me. You know this whole this whole notion of like an unlimited amount of money so existing floating out there somewhere. Uh-huh. Because like my my experience of the concept is very different. Mm. Uh, because you you of course you came from the multinational uh, corporation background, whereas we came from like the very thoroughly entrepreneur background. You you're uh. you. you you stayed in my house for a bit. You know my mother, so yeah, I'll I know, you, I know. I'll, t- I'll tell, I'll tell, I'll tell a little anecdote about my mother. Uh, she uh, actually started with a very small business, but she was able to sell a Filipino product at a U.S. price. You know that, mm. that was that was that's such crazy. a big game changer. <laughs> I know. That, I know. That, that, that's the reason why we were able to. I was able to go to law school. Why I was able to go to school in Manila, and like we were able to live the level of life that we live now so again it's like super interesting how we can come to similar conclusions of like uh, even though we come from very different backgrounds <laughs> no <laughs> uh so after like after you take the mba where do you envision yourself going like you you want is it america or is it um mm. my, my hope is to learn more about how things are done in the um, developed countries. So whether it's the US, somewhere in Europe, in UK, um, or maybe in a developed country in um, near Philippines, like Singapore, or Japan, I don't know. Because uh, I really want to learn um, and be able to tap in those markets, tap into those connections. But the long-term plan is still to come back to the Philippines and bring, bring, bring everything back here. For for the, on that on that point, no. A lot of people when they when they pack up and they go abroad, like they don't have that intention of coming back. Like, mm. like if 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 you're on Facebook for any length of time now, like a lot of the posts that you'll see is like they just want to leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. What what do you think of that general mindset? Like, it, it's it's the same thing with what you said a while ago. Like in a democratic country, it's 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 no sin to. Think about yourself, and I and I do understand. Like, you have to think about your family, your kids, um, their their grandkids, etc. And you want to give them the best life, and that's not the Philippines right now. <laughs> I mean, for if you have a choice, why not, right? Um, but I guess for me, I believe that um, I do have a purpose in this world, and I do want to try and at least deliver on that purpose, whether or not I'm like 100% successful or like 5% successful. And I think I want to help. And I think I just want to help. That's why in the long run, I want to go back um, and figure things out where I fit in the picture, what help I can give. 
Okay. So what I'm gonna do, uh, Paeng, is uh, sure. When you when you when you're nice and successful and you're nice and comfortable in California or Switzerland <laughs> or Tokyo or wherever you are, I'm gonna go back to you with this podcast. And yeah, I'm gonna play yeah. that section. <laughs> you should. You should. <laughs> so that I can I can get you to come back. Um, with that thing, we're. <laughs> Uh, we've discussed quite a lot, and uh, it's 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 been an honor to have you on. So I think I think we'll cap the podcast here. I really just want to take uh, thank you for taking the time to come out, and I really appreciate you taking the time to record this podcast with me. Sure, man. Mm. Like it's it's my mm. honor to be your. I, I'm assuming I'm your first guest, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you are because my girlfriend <laughs> is too busy to record my first episode with me. <laughs> I guess she's more. I guess she's more successful with her business. That's why she's busier. So it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. 